expression of our gratitude, the expression of our faith, our thanksgiving, our honor for who you are and all that you've done. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you. We thank you. We honor you in your house. We honor you in your house. King of kings and Lord of lords, we honor you in your house. For you are worthy and you are Lord. And your name alone is worthy to be praised and honored and glorified. Jesus, we love you, praise you, and we thank you. Have your way. Release your power and touch our lives. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He's worthy. The Lord Jesus is worthy. We love you, Lord. We love you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Welcome to the house of the Lord this morning. So good to see everybody out. Children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Praise the Lord. Amen. What a God we serve. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you would go to Revelation chapter number 2, we're going to continue our series on the messages of the Lord Jesus to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. This is our fourth church. This is our fourth message. You remember the background. The Apostle John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's banished there. It's like a penal colony for the Romans because of his preaching of the gospel. They threw him into this barren, rocky island. And the Bible says that on the Lord's day, John was in the Spirit. Amen? You're going to be on the Spirit, be on the Spirit in the Lord's day. Amen. And he had this glorious vision of the exalted, resurrected Christ. So glorious, so overwhelming that John, who when Jesus was on earth, used to put his head 
on his shoulder, and John was very close with him. When he saw Jesus in this way, he just fell at his feet like a dead man. And then Jesus gave him these messages. So if you would, Revelation, the second chapter, and let's begin with verse 18. And the Bible says to the angel in the church in Thyatira, write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. That's pretty good, amen? Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate, see, not all toleration is good. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. There's a name given to a false prophetess and a false teacher that was trying to bring corruption to the church. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, but by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality, eating food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent, but she is unwilling. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Therefore, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead, her spiritual children, and then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Jesus knows how to get a person's attention. Now I say to the rest of you, if I were Tyra, Durant, wherever you might be, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except hold on to what you have until I come. I'm going to hold on. How about you? Amen. And to him who overcomes, who does my will to the end, I'll give authority over the nations. Oh, my, 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 my. Lord, we thank you for your word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. We thank you, Jesus. You love us enough to deal with us, to speak to us, not just to let us go our wayward way to that harmful destination. But in your mercy, you try to awaken us and turn us and bring us back. We thank you for that in Jesus' name and God's people said. Thyatira, the wrong type of tolerance. We hear a lot about tolerance in the world today. And there is a good type of tolerance, but then there is a, a sinful type of tolerance. And as we study the risen Lord's messages to the seven churches in Asia Minor, we're saying they're letters to them, but lessons for us. Each message has a meaning for the now. Yes, they were real churches, and God was dealing with specific churches and people and times, but those messages, the Bible says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is still saying. Let's take these lessons and apply them to our lives, both individually and corporately. Let's learn as we study the Word of God. Let's learn what, what does the Lord emphasize? What does the Lord applaud? That, that ought to make a difference, amen? I, I want to know, what, what does Jesus love and what does Jesus hate? What does Jesus approve of? What does Jesus warn about? That only makes sense, amen? 
seeing that I'll stand before him one day and so will you, it would behoove us to know what matters to him. Isn't that right? Well, what matters to, you know, this one or that one really don't matter down the road. What matters to him? So let's learn what the Lord emphasizes and applauds, what he approves, what he rejects, what he warns. Obviously, what he judges so we can avoid that thing. In the church of Thyatira, we see a church that was growing in love. They were a hardworking church, a persevering church, a faithful church. But they had allowed and they had tolerated a woman who was a false teacher, uh, a false prophetess, and they were refusing to censor her. They were refusing to say, stop that. That's unacceptable. You're not going to do that here. What they do down at St. So-and-so's is between them and not here. Because it's not in the Word of God. Because the Word of God says that's wrong. And they didn't censor her. It's not enough to say something's wrong. All right. So we see in this letter, though this was the smallest of the cities, it gets the most words from the Savior. It's important message for the modern church. This message of Thyatira is important for the modern church because even when it's under the banner of so-called unity, love and tolerance, false doctrine and blatant sin cannot be winked at and allowed. Though many good things were happening in this church, there was increase and there was growth and they were an active church, the Lord Jesus deals with this situation very sternly and very seriously. So let's note, number one, the destination of the letter, Thyatira, in Asia Minor, what is modern-day Turkey. It was a military town. It was a military outpost, and it was also a commercial center, and there were many trade guilds, many unions, many trade guilds. Now, wherever the guilds were found, idolatry and immorality were almost always present. The, the great danger of the early church, of the Bible church, really, there are two great enemies of the church, idolatry and immorality. The church's pressure came from this, to hold a job, or to run a business, it was necessary to be part or be member of the union. But each guild, each local, had its patron deity in whose honor feasts were held. And there's the problem. Because with the feast came the sacrifice to the idol and the immorality that was part of the worship. And so the Christian's dilemma, attend and participate, or stand for Christ and possibly lose the job how some in the church were handling the situation concerned the Lord Jesus, gave him great concern, caused him great concern. So the destination. Now the description of the Lord. We start out and look at verse 18, how Jesus describes himself. This is Jesus talking. And Jesus starts out and he says, These are the words of the Son of God. He draws attention to his deity. Here he uses a divine title, and he does so intentionally because he wants to add a solemn tone to the message that he's about to deliver. The Son of God, by using that title, he's immediately establishing his authority in the mind of the readers who are caught in this power struggle between Christ's way and this new way being promoted by this so-called prophetess. And you know, friend, every generation has to take a fresh stand for the gospel. Every generation, we can go back every 20, 30, 40 years, every generation there's a new attack on the purity of the gospel. There's a new temptation to adapt the gospel and adjust the gospel and to water it down so that the church can fit in more with the culture. If you want to fit in with your culture, you'll never be a real Christian. 
You're not going to go to heaven if you care for your culture and fitting in more than you do pleasing the Lord Jesus. That's what their struggle was. Just ignore some things. What will Jesus care? Well, we found out what he said. I guess he cares. Amen. Just change this. Ignore that so we can fit in and not have to deal with, no, 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 no. Not how it works. He calls himself the Son of God, and then he goes on, verse 18, eyes like blazing fire, flaming fire. That description speaks of the penetrating vision, the burning gaze of the Savior. With searing discernment, the Lord Jesus sees beyond all this deception, sees the heart of the problem. Verse 23, he says, he's the one that sees all and searches the mind and the hearts of men. The penetrating eyes of the Lord Jesus. Nothing is hidden from his sight. We can hide things from one another. We can hide things from the spouse, hide things from the pastor, hide things from the boss. But there is no thought, there is no motive, there is no action or word that can be hidden from the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Amen. The Son of God, whose eyes are like the flame of fire, and whose feet are like fine brass or burnished bronze. That's a strong symbol and image of judgment, strong, stern, ready to swiftly pursue and deal with his enemies. This is a sobering description of the Lord, but he gives it to himself. But serious times and issues call for serious measures and dealings. There's the destination, the description, and now we're just going to change our normal pattern. And we're going to hit with the, the negative first so that we can finish with the positive. Someone says, well, why don't you just skip the negative altogether and get to the positive and we can hoot and holler and, and run the aisles. Well, trust me, that's tempting at times. Don't, don't let it fool you. Amen? I'd rather look at you saying, oh, what a wonderful preacher. Clap your hands and be smiles than to sit at me like, you ought to see some of your faces from this perspective. Amen. That's all I'm saying. That's why I got this pulpit. Brother Summerall built this for me. I said, make it strong. I might have to duck behind it one day. Amen. That's right. I said, Brother, make it. You, you, you never know. You get preaching this gospel. You don't know what might be coming at you. So I wanted something. Uh, you don't want to know. That's it, man. So I'm telling you. <laughs> you know, the fact is this. Not to touch, at least to touch on. Because there's no point in belaboring things that aren't a present need. If it is, you know, you deal with it. But not to touch on this, let's understand this very clearly. And you can take this home to your northern churches, and you can take it anywhere you want. To purposely skip and avoid Scripture because you're uncomfortable preaching it, or you're afraid they might not like to hear it, that is disrespectful to the God that gave you the Bible. That's just disrespectful to the Lord who gave you the book. Can you say Amen. It's disrespectful, it's irreverent, it's irresponsible to you. I would be irresponsible to you to purposely hide from you that which God has given us to learn from, to be warned of, to be helped by. Oh yeah, it is disrespectful to God, it's irresponsible to you. And I don't want to be guilty of ministerial negligence. So though we're not going to be labor on it, you might, there might be one. There might be just one. You might be at home listening. 
Maybe that's why you're not here. There might be one. Yeah, you need to hear and hear good and loud what Jesus is saying. I'm not. This is the word of the Lord. Because no matter what someone says after you're gone, it's how you live that's going to make all the difference. Come on, say amen. amen. With his penetrating eyes of fire, Christ exposes a deadly spiritual disease. It seems that, again, this church had allowed this woman who was a self-proclaimed teacher and prophet to teach that it was okay to participate in the pagan rituals of immorality. Jesus writes in verse 20, By her teaching, she misleads my servants. Isn't that a frightening thought? I don't want to stand before him being guilty of that. By her teaching, she misleads. You've got to look out who you listen to. I mean those Christian TV preachers. You know enough not to listen to someone else, but those Christians, you better watch it. Bad, bad enough when they talk about what they think they know. Then they try to become doctors, physicians. I'll let that go. But anyhow, she taught believers. Yeah. Yeah. You get, out, get, you get out of your lane. That's a quick way to meet the Lord. That's all I'm going to tell you. She taught believers to compromise with Roman religions and with the immoral practices of their culture in order to keep their jobs. So it's okay. It's going to cost you your job. If Jesus says it's blatant sin, then you lose your job and you stay right with the Lord. That's what Jesus is teaching here. But she was teaching expediency. You go ahead and just go the way of the crowd. Go the way with your buddies. You'll fit in better that way. And she was preaching that the bowing to the God of convenience rather than the King of glory. How many know this morning that new creatures should live new lives? How about that? And if we're new creatures in Christ, we ought to live new lives for the glory of Christ. So let's cover this quickly. I'm going to go on it, but I want you to get it. I want you to get it. I want you to be able to apply it. I want you to be able to share it properly with others. The denunciation of the church. Number one, they were tolerating what was unacceptable. They were tolerating what is unacceptable. Verse 20, let's look at that. Nevertheless, these are the words of Jesus. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate. You're putting up with something that God is not putting up with. You tolerate this woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into immorality and idolatry. Dr. Swindoll, Dr. Chuck Swindoll, most of you are familiar with his ministry. He writes, Jesus notes an attitude of tolerance that like a moral malignancy has been allowed to spread unchecked. The people have known it was there, have known that it was wrong, and yet have refused to say anything about it. Jezebel taught expediency over principle and led others astray. I'll say that again. You see, a lot of times in the modern church, we bow to expediency. Don't want to cause a wave. Don't want to, well, you got to know what's okay to compromise and what's not okay to compromise. We have to have enough of the word of God in us that we know what can we allow and what do we have to make a firm stand upon. There's a difference. We can compromise a lot of minor things. We can compromise a lot of personal preferences. Amen? But there are certain things that are clear in the word of God that if we compromise that, we, we just, we're at odds with God now. So again, Jezebel taught expediency over principle. And let others astray. 
Now, the fact of the matter was, these powerful guilds did make it very difficult to serve the Lord. I mean, they had a real reason. It was just true. But Christians of every generation must face such things. Every generation. We go back to the Bible days, folks. If they're going to witness, they get thrown to the lions. It didn't mean they stopped witnessing. Amen? And they didn't think voting in a better Caesar was the answer to that either. I mean, they just, they served Christ. They sought Christ and they lived for Christ, whatever hit the, you know, whatever happened. So we don't recognize here that every generation of Christians will face different things. And as Christians, though, we must live, we live by a different standard. We live by the word of God. We bow to a different Lord. His name is Jesus. We say, Lord, whatever would please you, that's the way we're going to go. Whether it displeases others, that's not the most important thing. Jesus, what pleases you? And we must draw some moral lines in the sand that are non-negotiable. Then, come what may, we stand on the side of biblical righteousness and biblical morality. 2 Corinthians 6 and 17 is still in the book. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Be separate in the way you live. Be separate in how you act. Be separate in what you believe and follow the Lord Jesus with all your heart and with all your mind. So number one, we see verse 20. They're tolerating what's unacceptable. So again, there are certain things that's good and wise for toleration. We're going to tolerate. We, 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 we have different accents. We tolerate, don't we? We're going to tolerate some or have this preference, some have that. There's different things we tolerate to get along, and that's just wisdom. But there's other things, if we tolerate those things, we're going to find ourselves fighting with God, because God's not. Never get Pastor Beach. Years ago, that old man of God, one of the colleges I attended, Elam um, Bible College, there there was a fight going on, not a fight, but, you know, there was a problem going on between the president and the, the next guy and their father and son, you know, the founder and the president, and, and they're kind of knocking heads over an issue. And everyone was asking Pastor Beach, because he was in leadership and he was related to the family, um, George, where do you stand? George, where do you stand? And he says, people would ask me, and I'd be kind of smug, say, I'm neutral. George, where do you stand? I'm neutral. He says, I said that about the third time, and as loud as I could hear the voice of God, well, George, I'm not. So you better find out where I am and get there. Can you say amen? Let's find out where God is and get there. Be loving, be kind, be compassionate, but stand with God. Stand with God. So they tolerated what was unacceptable, and then they rejected, because of that, they rejected what's unachievable. And notice verse 21. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, unachievable, unearnable, undeserved. This is mercy and grace. This is a second chance of God that he gives to men, rejecting what's unachievable. For the Lord knew and he saw and he searched, and he says, I've given her time, and she refuses. She's unwilling to respond to the mercy that I'm extending into her life. You see, verse 21 is a very strong picture of the mercy of God. See, the Bible teaches that God is rich in mercy. But that mercy, if it's going to do anyone any good, has to be received and responded to by man. When he convicts us in the spirit, when he deals with our heart, 
when he exposes certain things in our lives, that is the mercy of God being expressed. Trying to wake a person up, trying to turn a person around before their actions cause them harm. You see, the Lord Jesus, what we learn here, the Lord Jesus was not hasty in his judgment. He never is. But by rejecting the mercy and the wooing and the dealings of God, by ignoring the Spirit's conviction and rejecting the Lord's compassion, by refusing the clear biblical instruction, being unwilling to receive, unwilling to change and stop and confess and humble oneself before the Lord. We take ourselves down a dangerous path to a dangerous place and ultimately to a dangerous destination. Dr. Wiersbe writes, not only was the church of Thyatira tolerating evil, but it was proud and unwilling to repent about it. Lesson to all of us is don't laugh away or don't ignore your season of mercy and your season of grace because it doesn't last forever. To ignore the love and mercy of God, to reject the call of God, just brings us down a path that all will be sorry that we didn't turn from. And the great reason it's a shame is because God is so willing to forgive and restore lives that'll turn around and come back to where they belong and start doing what they're supposed to do. God is so full of mercy and grace, but it's only when a person responds and receives that mercy that it can do them any good. I'll tell you, through all these many, many years of walking with God and pastoring, I've seen so many lives that really mess things up. I mean, they mess things up for a decade. They produced what they shouldn't have produced. They left with it. Oh, a mess. But somewhere along the line, they really responded to the call of God's mercy. And like that prodigal, they came to themselves and really, they confessed their sin, 1 John 1 and 9. And they received the cleansing and the forgiveness and the restoration of God. They exhibited a real godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. And that godly sorrow is something that causes a person to change and take ownership and not make excuses, but get real in their desire to get right with God. And the Bible says there's no regret in that. There's regret in ignoring it. There's a regret in excusing it. But coming clean before God, who's full of mercy and ready to forgive and re- restore, there's no regret in that. That just takes us back into salvation, and into his love, and into his grace. I've seen so many lives. I can tell you stories. Church would have wrote most of them off. Preachers would have said, I don't know if there's much hope for them. It's been so long. But one glad morning, they woke up, they got real, and they got right with God. And then if you could look at the next 20, 30 years of that life, you wouldn't imagine. Now, now they had to deal with stuff. We can't just live foolish and not have to deal with stuff for a long time. That's fairy tales. But I watch how God used those lies, even used those quote-unquote mistakes to bring his glory and do wonders and do mighty things. Jesus is dealing. He says, I gave her time because I don't want to have to come and deal harshly. I gave her time, even though she's preaching false doctrine. She's leading others astray, but I still had enough compassion 
that I knocked on the door of her heart. I dealt with her. I spoke with her. I gave her a chance. She said, Lord, don't want it. Wow. So because they were tolerating the unacceptable and she was rejecting the unachievable, ultimately they had to receive what's unavoidable. Wow. You see, verses 22 and 23, and it's a frightening thing. God said, I'm going to deal with her, and then I'm going to deal with those that are following her. You better watch out who you follow. Watch who you support. Watch who you hang out with. You know, Pastor Veach, he didn't know that, well, that man of God. He never knew a PowerPoint. Uh, sometimes we just wonder. I think he just got up there, closed his eyes, and started to preach, and it just flowed. I don't know why. I don't know. He didn't have outlines. He didn't have notes. I mean, he just opened that book, and off it went. But I forget one story. Anybody familiar with Korah's Rebellion? Anybody at all? Korah's Rebellion. Some of you older saints, right? Sunday school class, Korah's Rebellion. Korah started a great rebellion in the Old Testament. He thought he knew better than Moses, and he thought, you know, he was a backslidden preacher, and he thought he was going to tell, you know, Moses how things ought to be. And God finally had to step in and deal with the thing because Korah wouldn't listen. But God said these words. I'll never forget Pastor Beach expounding on them. He said, separate yourself. He was telling the people, get away from Korah. Because I'm getting ready to deal with him. And if you're hanging with him, when I deal with him, you might get dealt with too. And then what happened to Korah? The ground opened up and swallowed him up and everybody that was near him. He's saying here, those that are following are going to get it. So it's a very serious thing, who you follow and who you support and what you allow and who you hang with. The eternal law of sowing and reaping cannot be escaped. And there's no amount of good deeds or family heritage that could ever bribe the righteous judge from dealing with our unrepented sin. I read a story that expresses the importance. Know who you're following. Watch who you're listening to. Somewhere in the Indiana Cemetery, there's a tombstone that's over 150 years old, and it bears the following epitaph. Paul, stranger, when you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be, so prepare for death and follow me. An unknown passerby read those words and underneath scratched this reply. To follow you I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> watch who you're following and watch who you're hanging with. Can you say amen? amen. All right. Now let's get to the diagnosis. Say, All right, now let's get to the diagnosis of the church, the positive part that I know that's what you were waiting for. So was I. Amen? But again, it's irresponsible and irrespectful not to at least touch on what the Word of God says. Amen? After all, if we believe that's the Word of God and He gave us this instruction, we ought to at least read it, understand it, and let it speak to us. Is that right? All right. All right. Now, verse 19, verse 19, let's look at these positive things that the Lord Jesus applauds and that He wants you and I to pursue and to imitate. Again, verse 19, he says, I know your deeds, your love and your faith, 
your service and your perseverance and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Man, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Let's look at these good traits that God wants you and I to practice. Number one, they were a laboring church. They were a laboring church. The word here, um, I know your deeds and I know your service. I know your works. The word service there speaks of spiritual ministry. The, the ministry that expressed Christian love and Christian kindness. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 3 speaks of our labor prompted by love. And our love for God ought to move us to work for God and to serve God and to do our part to minister for God. Jesus wants our labor. He says, I know your service and I know your deeds. He says, I'm pleased that this church is an active church and that people are involved and people are participating and people are using their gifts and talents to affect others and to encourage others and to minister to others and to reach out to others. And Jesus wants our labor. Every Christian should have a sense of duty to do their part for the cause of Christ. It just makes sense, doesn't it, after all he's done for us? You know, even in the natural, when someone does something nice for you, you want to reciprocate. It's just natural, isn't that right? When someone does something good for you, I mean, you're just, you want to reciprocate. How much more? The one that died for us and shed his blood for us. How much more does it just make sense that if we really understand that and believe that, there should be something and say, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you. I want to give you something back, so I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to minister to others in your name. And again, every believer has been entrusted, enabled, and called to participate in what God is doing in the earth today, to be part and involved in what the church is doing. 1 Peter 4 and 10, note takers, it says, each one, each one of us, everyone has a part, each one should use. Our gifts aren't just to look at or, you know, to show off, but they're to use to bless others, amen? My gift's not for me, it's for you, and your gift's not for you, it's for me. So we take our gifts, whatever they are, and they're varied and they're various, and, and, but use them to bless others and to minister to others. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace. How does God's grace flow? Typically through the individual that offers themselves to write card and say the kind word, to make the visit, to use their talent to help the body, to use their time and effort to be a blessing to the body. So number one, notice that they were a laboring church, and that pleases the heart of God. And he has given each one of us opportunities and talents to bless others and to minister in his name. And he's well pleased when we do a good thing at that. Amen. Secondly, laboring church, it's a loving church. A loving church. They loved God. They loved one another. They loved the lost. They had kept the love that Ephesus lost. Remember that, the first church? They had kind of forsaken that first love. Well, this church kept that first love. They had kept a warm, enthusiastic, sincere love for their Lord and for the brethren. You know, the Bible teaches us that love must be sincere. Romans 12 and 9, love must be sincere. But unfortunately, all love is not sincere. How many know that? I read a story about love that was not too sincere. You want to hear it? You asked for it. All right. Wealthy old man just married a lovely young lady, and my wife was here. She said, they're no fool like a, all right, that's all right. 
And, and he began to wonder if maybe she might have just married him. Someone just got that. Someone, she might have just married him for his money. And so finally got up the courage and he said, Honey, if I lost all my money, would you still love me? Well, she said reassuringly, Oh, honey, don't be silly. Of course I still love you. And I'd miss you terribly. <laughs> yeah, that's not sincere love, is it? Amen. No, no, the Lord don't want that. He, 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 he wants sincere. You don't want what's in it for me, love. He wants a sincere love and a, and a sacrificing love and a serving love. Until death do us part, love. Isn't that right? Whew. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, Lord. Love, love expressed, number one, towards God. That's the commandment, isn't it? To love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our strength. Isn't that the number one command up there, right? Yeah, yeah. A loving church, they love God. And I think one of the, the, neatest, the neatest illustrations of, of love for God is found in Mary when she breaks the alabaster box. Remember that story? It was very expensive. It cost a year wages or so. But there is Jesus at, tape, at the table laying there at the table. Um, she breaks it and she pours it on him. Wow. That, that's an expression of her love. Um, she pours out this act of her expression, her love for Jesus. She poured it out publicly. It was costly, unashamed, lavish in her love. Her expression of love. Some, some it made feel uncomfortable. Some of them became very critical. Remember some rebuked her? Remember that? They said it's too much, but Jesus defended her. It doesn't matter if others are going to be critical if Jesus is pleased in defending it. Amen? And her act of love, she took something costly. Listen, friends, can, can I be straight with you? Don't be cheap with God. Let me just talk to you, me and you, me and you, me and you. Don't be cheap with God. Don't be cheap. You're going to die. Listen, you're going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. Some of us, you, you, you'll be gone. It is, it is. No, I'm not saying it is. Don't be cheap with him. Don't be cheap with him. Amen? We're blessed. We've we, we got a handful of people here who serve God all their days. They don't have no regrets about that. They're going to see him face to face in a few years. But there's no regrets that they wasted their lives on feeble, foolish, temporal things. They're going to see the Lord and say, you know what? Lord, I gave you what was right. Don't be cheap with God. Amen? Be cheap with your hobby. Be cheap with the things of the world. Don't be cheap with God. Why? He wasn't cheap with you and me. Come on, say amen to that. Isn't that right? We just speak Every now and then you've got to get off the pulpit and talk to people, all right? When it's all said and done. And we're back home. Let's not be cheap with God. He's such a good God. We can have a good life here. We can enjoy so many blessings here. And still give him first place. And give him our quality effort. Isn't that right? I mean, that was the love. That was the love that Jesus defended her love. And Jesus said, no, no, no. It's not a waste. It's a memorial. It's beautiful. It'll never be forgotten, man. Don't you want the Lord to say about your worship and your devotion? It'll never be forgotten. It's beautiful. Not that it was cheap. I'm glad you found time for me. He said, he looks and said, no, it was beautiful. It touched my heart. Some could have given more. She gave the best she had. 
Some maybe could have done it better, but she did the best of what she had. I mean, you know, you see, he's, he's not judging all that stuff. He's just saying, you give me your best effort. That's all I want. And he's the only one worthy of it. Isn't that right? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Jesus says to this church, I am so pleased. I applaud. I, I commend your labor and your love. Because you love me sincerely. You love me wholeheartedly and you express that love. And he also, that love was also a love that was expressed to the brethren. They're loving one another and they're loving and trying to reach those that Christ died for. We remember the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus gives us that illustration of love expressed towards our fellow man. Love expressed towards the brethren or to the lost. And how that Good Samaritan, he, he went down so he could lift that man up. He paid. He sacrificed. He was willing to spend of himself to lift someone else up. You know, as we walk through life, we're going to walk by people that are down. Maybe God sent you along that path so you could lift them up. Amen? We're going to go by people that are frustrated and they're lost hope and they're confused and they don't know the Lord. But maybe we can just stop like the Good Samaritan. With that love of Jesus. I'm glad he came down for me. I don't know about anybody else. Amen? So maybe we can be like the Lord, and when we see a hurting person, maybe we can stop. I know I'm busy, but I can stop a little bit and just give them a word of comfort, give them a word of encouragement. Now I see someone that's hurting. I've been so blessed. Maybe I can just, now I can give them that card to help them go to grocery and tell them the Lord loves you. Try to, I mean, that it's, it's our love towards the Lord, but also that love. If we love him, we're going to love those he died for. We're going to love those made in his image. And love our fellow man. Oh, Jesus. The church of Thyatira, they were a laboring church. And Jesus says, be busy, serve me. Find your place, use your gifts and talents. Number two, they were a loving church. He said, I loved you, and I still love you, and I died for you. Love me with all your heart. Give me your best. Don't be cheap with God. Number three, they were a loyal church. You see in verse 19 where it says faith, really, it's faithful. They were loyal Fidelity is what it's calling. The, the real believers in Thyatira were dependable, were reliable, and they were consistent. In spite of all the resistance, where it would have been easy to start to compromise, in spite of the criticism and the temptation to cut corners, to make it convenient and easier on the job and easier in the neighborhood, they fulfilled the one requirement of a servant that stands above all others, and that is that we be found faithful. Wednesday night crowd knows we've been teaching on the fruit of the Spirit for about the last six or seven months. We usually spend about three weeks on each one. And we got to faithfulness, faithfulness. And we looked and we found out that 1 Corinthians 4 and 2 tells us it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. As a Christian, I am required to be faithful. I look at myself in the mirror. God requires me to be faithful. He doesn't require me to be the smartest because that would take a miracle. He doesn't require me to be the prettiest. That ship has sailed. But he does require that I be faithful. Isn't that right? He applauds their faithfulness. He applauds their faith. You know, it's only right. You can grow in other things. But faithfulness from step one. Isn't that right? You remember when you first got married? Someone said, yeah, all right. 
I mean, she didn't cook like mama, and he certainly didn't have his act together as that husband, you know. He's a little rough around the brick. You know, he wasn't exactly that tender, loving thing that he matured into. Isn't that right? Most men are selfish. We all selfish when we first get married. We're 20. 20 old guys don't know nothing except me, myself, and I. I mean, that's, that's how we wired. Amen? takes us a while to learn we're not the center of the universe. Isn't that true? You know. <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And, but we understand that. Isn't that right? You, know, you give them 20, 30 years, man, woo, what a cook they are now. Amen. That beats that microwave chicken that used to be. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Amen. Oh, yeah. You know, you look back and think what a knucklehead you were back in those days. You say, oh, my. Oh, how thick-headed could I have been. Amen. How insensitive and how just 20-year-old boy. That's what they are. Amen. They just, you are who you are. But we knew that. We knew we, knew we were hoping. We knew the person enough that they're going to grow. Isn't that right? Isn't that true? You know, we, we didn't feel, oh, forget this. They can't cook. No, we knew. Take it's all, take out's all right for a while. Amen. We, and she knew enough. Well, his father seems like a real good father. Maybe, you know, something in him will kick in sooner or later. And he'll. The one thing that was non-negotiable from day one, faithfulness. Faithfulness. Isn't that right? Faithfulness. Right? right. Faithfulness. There's no room for that one. Faithfulness. Isn't that right? Didn't matter they don't cook as long as she's pretty. I don't care if she cooks. You learn to cook. You can't learn to pretty. Amen. You know what I mean? Isn't that right? And, and, and you know, <laughs> whew, better reel this one in. I don't know where I'm going now. I'm getting out there. I'm getting out there. And you know what I'm saying. Isn't that right? Yeah, you, you, it's all right. That's all, I know he's a little selfish, but he'll grow up and he'll start being a little bit more consistent. You know, that's just how they, they know enough of that. But, oh, faithfulness. Woo! From step one, non-negotiable there. It is required. It's not required that you're the greatest cook when you're 21. It's not required that you're the most sensitive husband and understanding father at 21. But it is required. You be found faithful. Can you say amen? amen. That's how it is with Jesus. He requires faithfulness. He knows we're all growing. He knows we're all maturing. When it comes to faithfulness, it is required. It is required that a steward be found faithful. Hallelujah. Mm. <laughs> oh, Lord. He was faithful to me. He was faithful to you. The Bible says Jesus was faithful in the house of God. He was faithful. The cross was uncomfortable. That road to Calvary was lonely. He was despised and rejected of men. He was misunderstood, but he was faithful. Went to that cross, stayed on that cross, could have came down, could have avoided it. I'm thankful that for you and for me, Jesus was found faithful. And now I want to be faithful, and I want to be loyal. I want to be faithful and loyal in my walk, and in my worship, and in my witness, and in my work for the Lord, because he's worthy. I, I read a story about loyalty. And it blessed me. And I pray that it would bless you as God's calling us for that. True story. I believe it goes back to World War I. Two men grew up as best of friends. And though Jim was a little older than Phil and often assumed the role of leader, they did everything together, went to high school, went to college. After college, they joined the Marines. By a unique series of circumstances, they were both sent to Germany together 
where they fought side by side and won the history's ugliest wars. Well, one sweltering day in a, during a fierce battle, amid heavy gunfire and bombing, close quarter combat, they were given the command to retreat. As the men were running back, Jim noticed that Phil had not returned with the others. Panic gripped his heart. He knew if Phil did not get back in another minute or two, he wouldn't make it. He begged his commanding officer, let me go after my friend. The officer refused, forbade him. He said it would be suicide. But risking his own life, Jim disobeyed his commanding officer. He ran into the gunfire calling out for his friend Phil. After a short time, his platoon saw him hobbling across the field carrying a limp body in his arms. Jim's commanding officer chewed him out. Shouting, it was a foolish waste of time and an outrageous risk. Your friend is dead. There's nothing you could have done. Jim replied, no, sir, you're wrong. I got there just in time. Because before he died, his last words were, I knew you'd come. I knew you'd come. There's something about loyalty, friends. I want you to know heaven applauds loyalty. I know not so much in this covenant-breaking society we live in, but I assure you as God is my witness, heaven applauds loyalty. Heaven esteems loyalty. And I exhort you in the name of the Lord Jesus, be loyal to your spouse, be loyal to your kids, be loyal to your friends, but above all, be loyal to your Lord and your Savior who has always been loyal to you. Come on, let's give him a praise in the house of the Lord. Be loyal to Jesus. Be loyal to Jesus. Man, he's been loyal to us. Oh, Lord, I'm going to close it down. It's time to close it down, but Jesus applauds these things. Jesus, these are the things Jesus wants you and I to go for and to imitate and walk in. He simply says to the faithful followers, to those who have not given in to the world's call to compromise and take the shortcuts, etc., to you, Jesus says, Verses 25 and 26. To the rest of you all that are doing good, he says, just hold on to what you have until I come. Amen? He's coming quickly. Hold on. Keep it going. You keep loving God. You keep serving God. You keep trusting God. And to him who overcomes and does my will to the end. I want you to be determined you're going to do God's will to the end. Regardless of what you have to go through, you will do God's will to the end. And if you'll do that, Jesus said, there'll come a day I'll give you authority to rule with me over the nations forever and forever. Can you say amen? Amen. Uh, we're going to close it. We're going to open the altar. And our thought is simply this. The church of Thyatira. They were too tolerant in some areas, and Jesus responded to those things. And we saw one side of the Lord we don't ever want to see or experience. Amen. I don't want to experience that side of Jesus. That's all I'm saying. So I want to make sure that I'm I'm living right and I'm living according to the book. And I'm not tolerating what the Lord wouldn't tolerate. So let's watch our lives and let's watch our allowances. But then we see here that Jesus applauded them because they were a laboring church, a loving church, and a loyal church. And I think these are things that we should all be pursuing and giving the effort towards. They please and honor the Lord. And I want to please and honor the Lord. Amen? And so I want, to, I want to be loyal. I want to be laboring. I want to love the Lord. So we're going to pray and open the altar. If you're here today, if you're listening at home, if anyone has heard the Holy Spirit 
speak the word of warning to your heart. Because maybe there's something you, you need to turn from, you need to change. That you need to respond to that mercy. Don't, 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 don't grieve, don't go over that time. Don't expire that time of God trying to, in his kindness, bring you back to your senses. If anyone's here and they hear the warning of the Spirit, apply it. Make the change. Don't shrug it off. Receive the mercy of God. And the rest of us, let's be determined. We're going to hold on. We're going to continue in faithful, obedient, loyal living for our God and for our King. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Go ahead. Stand with me as we close in prayer. If you need prayer after I get done and we begin to worship, please come down if you need special prayer or you just want to come and wait on the Lord and make a fresh altar and maybe think about some things that maybe God's speaking to you about and the Lord's dealing with you. Let, let the Lord speak to you. We pray. Father, help us never to be ashamed to stand apart and be different, to follow and obey you even if it's costly. Help us to finish this race of faith strong and faithfully, lovingly and loyally until the very end. And now, fathers, we open these altars. Please bless these dear ones that have come out this morning. Encourage every heart, give peace and wisdom to every mind. Lord, you know every situation that's represented here today. You know every need. Encourage hearts, strengthen hearts to those that maybe took some shots this week. Pour your healing oil on those bruises. To those that maybe they got some bad reports this week. Give them the comfort to know that you're with them. And you're going to take them through that thing. And you're giving them strength to overcome that thing. Father, as we worship you, I ask you to pour out your grace upon your people. Meet their needs. Encourage their faith. Give peace to their minds. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, let's worship the Lord. Sing this one time through before you go. And if you need prayer, now's your time. Come and let's let God touch us.